0: Is that That's some freaking white privilege, bro. We're ready for you. I don't know if you're watching, Anabaltus, but I sent you the link on Zoom. I'm ready for you. Or oh, we can wait. But I'm chilling. Just doing my little, hey, take my wife. Am I right? Just doing my little song and dance <laughs> oh we're on Discord. or oh, you want to go on discord oh okay well, I guess we're changing up over here hang on join video call can I hello Hello. Hi, let me get my video going. Sorry, I thought we were going to go on Zoom. Give me just one second. Um, but everyone can hear you, though. So how's it going?
1: It's going well.
0: Are you? Uh, you let, give me just one second to sw- switch everything up. But uh, why don't you you've been on the show this I think it's like seventh or eighth time. Man of Voltis, everybody uh, philosopher. Uh, you have some uh, interesting takes on Ukraine and stuff like that. So why don't you tell some people just kind of what your background is and uh, and we'll go from there.
1: Yeah, uh, I'd, I'd like to say, yes, I, I am uh, involved in political philosophy, looking into political systems. Uh, I also study theology to some extent as well, uh, because I think that there is an intrinsic connection between politics and philosophy and theology and such things. Uh, I wrote a book, Actionable Justice, uh, and that you can purchase online on uh amazon or on uh, taurus necros so uh thank you for having me on um i, I would like to say that uh I, I was watching your stream up until this point and uh your audio on stream sounds very nice but on discord uh it's a bit echoey i'm, I'm not entirely sure why
0: okay so why don't we I, <clears throat> I sent you a zoom link so why don't we uh why don't you just leave this call and click on okay. that link I'll, up there and we'll I'll be back, back in a in a moment then. All right, sounds good. All right. Dude, the Chinaman has it right on Zoom. You guys can still hear me, right? Yeah. Let me go over this. This is started. Okay. There we go. Start the video admit
1: Okey-dokes. okay you, you sound a ah, lot better
0: yay all right so anabaltus yeah we'll start this whole thing over i guess yeah so we're up on screen right now this is great uh anabaltus, been on the show a bunch of times we met at applebee's with might be wrong it was awesome uh, good to good to meet you in person. All those good things. Uh, but yeah, so you got some thoughts on Ukraine. You do philosophy and somewhat uh, theology, but uh, yeah. So you recommended. You know, one quick thing I can ask you before we get things started is that I I I messaged you to recommend a a book on international politics. But what was the book that you brought up? And uh, what what would you say? Would you agree? It's it's about basically what it's called realism of that. You know, nations look. To grow their own self, grow based on their own self-interests as uh, a trend. Would you say you're a realist? Uh,
1: Yes, I I would say that uh, I'm a I'm a realist uh, in large part. Now, there's different types of realism. I I wouldn't say that I'm heavily committed to uh, one particular type of realism. Uh, However, I I will also say that I like to combine my uh, religious perspectives uh, with that. So obviously that's not going to be the same as someone looking at things from a purely uh, from a purely um, international relations perspective. If you add that extra uh, level on top of that, it's slightly different, but I I would say it still falls into uh, realism.
0: Yeah. Okay. So how, I mean, I don't know, this is a lot of uh, like, it's probably a big question, but how can a nation best act in a, a good Christian way on, you know, the geopolitical scale. I guess it depends on situ- it's situational, but how would that factor in on the, the huge chessboard, you know, scale? Yeah.
1: yeah so I, I would say one thing uh, that uh, th- there's a long tradition in is uh, the theory of just war. Uh, For example, um, Augustine of Hippo famously uh, made a a theory of just war. So this is from the early church fathers. And it's the idea that there are right and wrong reasons to go to war. And uh, these, of course, will depend uh, on... Ethical circumstances, as well as the uh, political needs of your country, and uh, other commitments uh, that the country has made. So, I, I and, and that leads me into another thing that a country can do to act virtuously uh, in in the international sphere, and that is to honor its treaties. Uh, just like a person, uh, when when a person makes a promise or a commitment, it is the duty of that person to honor that commitment. Uh, Likewise, the country, uh, the state as a corporation, I would argue, has uh, a similar duty in in the uh, international sphere. Mm. So if you, for example, uh, sign a treaty that says that you can't do certain things in war, then uh, you have to abide by that treaty. And if you feel like that's actually holding you back and that the treaty has become problematic, you need to withdraw from the treaty in an orderly manner. And usually a lot of treaties have uh, conditions put into it to uh, on how people would uh, withdraw from these treaties. So that's another thing. And of course, uh, internally to a country, uh, honoring a a system of justice within the country mm. that uh, allows people to be held accountable for um, evil deeds that they do against each other, because the the government is supposed to uh, be a terror to uh, evil works, something that uh, supports good actions and condemns bad actions. So the government has a moral duty uh, to God to, to, uh, to at least have some control of its own uh, territory, its own jurisdiction on uh, uh, working to stop bad things from happening. Uh, An easy example that I think people would agree on is murder. Okay. Uh, Then there's some uh, other areas where you can get into debates on whether it is something that needs to be stopped, whether it's something that the government should handle or something that other uh social cultural institutions should handle um for, for example certain types of bad behavior should it be a crime to get drunk for example because uh, sobriety is a virtue um i don't think that it should be a crime to get drunk but i certainly think that uh there should be uh people telling people not to get drunk so yeah.
0: like speaking out So now. that that's on,
1: on the opposite end of that spectrum where it, we don't have to say that the government has to uh, do enforce everything to morality because there are some things that uh, arguably, uh, even if you try, you can't achieve. Uh, and that's why in ancient Israel, uh, they had the uh, atonement sacrifice, the Day of Atonement, because they knew that even though they had all these laws that didn't prevent people from actually doing bad things and people would have to seek forgiveness from God and have, uh, repentance. And of course that's transmitted, uh, in, in the new Testament to the church in in repentance to God and, uh, living in accordance to, um, to to becoming more like Christ and uh, becoming holier and such things.
0: Wow. And so, you know, that's something you believe can happen in, uh, in government
1: uh that that is something that i think uh belongs to the church specifically so i don't think that that's something that the government itself should well, be doing yeah
0: let me let me rephrase yeah do you think that in a uh it's possible to have a government that has let's see a, like a super majority you know 75 you know, percent plus people working in it that are striving to be that way
1: I, I think, theoretically speaking, you could have anywhere from a hundred percent to zero percent mm. of people being virtuous. But I don't think that, uh, at, at least from a Christian's perspective, uh, or at least uh, the perspective of reform theology, that you can guarantee a a majority, even if you educate people. Mm. Yeah.
0: Okay. Cool. I mean, but you say, say that's that should be. Either way, whether no matter the number, that's the the things that you listed, like honoring treaties, um, just war theory. I mean, there's a lot of books about that, and things like that. Um, that's it. Did people argue that? Is that a idea original to um, Augustine? I mean, did he, he um, did he name it that? I know people had talked about it prior to that, but did he name that theory?
1: I, I don't know if he specifically called it just war theory. Mm. Um, obviously he was writing in latin so it yeah, it would be written differently yeah. um but i i think that concepts on there being right and wrong reasons to go to war uh are probably as old as war itself yeah so
0: yeah of course yeah cool yeah so i mean let's just get into ukraine i mean you know i watched your video on uh your i think it was your first video on it um but yeah, let's just get into what your takes are, you know, what, how you see the whole thing. Uh, you have some, the, the, I definitely want to get into the annex Siberia stuff. Uh, and we'll just, yeah. So why don't you just state your case on like how you see the situation and all that stuff?
1: Well, I, I think a, a brief, uh, hi- historical timeline maybe is necessary. So, uh, Russia and Ukraine both used to be part of the Soviet Union and before that, the Russian Empire. Uh, And after the collapse of the Soviet Union in the 90s, uh, those two countries became independent. And uh, NATO, an alliance uh, that uh, was made by countries bordering the North Atlantic and farther into Europe, nato had been established to balance out uh the the balance of power in europe against uh, the soviet union and and then the warsaw pact uh, emerged which was the uh, soviet uh, uh, sort of equivalent of nato as a defensive uh, alliance although uh, i would argue that the soviets probably had a lot stronger direct uh, involvement than the americans did on nato in controlling those countries um, but after the fall of the Soviet Union, it can be argued that uh, Russia a- and the former Soviet Union's economy was in shambles, and there was a lot of restructuring and new optimism for the future. Ukraine was an independent country now. and uh, and they were uh, now at-, at this point beginning to develop a new national identity uh somewhat borrowed from older historical periods but also uh coalescing into this new national identity in ukraine um because ukraine had for such a long time uh, either been part of the soviet union or the russian empire so culturally speaking they were very similar to the russians because of the close relation and in fact kiev uh used to be the capital of uh Russia in the Middle Ages at, at some point. Wow. Um, so so it, that makes it a bit ironic when you see the memes where they compare uh, Moscow to Kiev at certain years, showing that there's all these beautiful buildings being built in Kiev while there's nothing in Moscow. Well, and the implication is that Ukraine is this older uh, culture than than Russia, when in fact uh, they used to be one cultural group that eventually diverged
0: yeah is it the kievan Um, rus is that what the name of the people were called i
1: i i I would say it's rus Rus. uh i i suppose in in latin it would be Ruthenia. um also russia uh nowadays uh i I think that those are all interchangeable the the term kievan is just a prefix uh historiographers add Uh, i don't think they would have used it uh Historically, okay,
0: cool. It's just the Rus, yeah, yeah, cool.
1: And and it was used to describe a a, a broad range of uh, East Slavic peoples that were loosely uh, under a uh, central uh, government that was capitalled uh, at one point in Novgorod, then in Kiev, and then in various other places as they splintered apart. And then the Mongol invasions happened. And uh, that had a huge impact on the uh, Russian culture uh, as uh, historically the Russians have seen themselves as a people that need to uh, defend themselves against outside invaders uh, like the Mongols, uh, the Poles, the Swedes, the uh, Turks uh, and the uh, and eventually the French and the Nazis. And that's a more recent one. And nowadays uh, they see themselves as defending themselves against the West. And I'm not saying that that's specifically what is going on. I'm saying that that's the cultural uh, mindset that they have this defensive mindset. And in some ways, this is juxtaposed uh, against their, uh, largely defenseless position on the Northern European plane that opens up from Germany and gets wider and wider the farther east you go. And so a key strategic point uh, that a a number of different uh, military theorists have looked into is expanding Russia westward so that it can uh, or having buffer states in the West so that they can have, they can close off the entrance to the Northern European plain. And one proponent to this theory is uh, Alexander Dugan, uh, a Russian philosopher who has uh, some influence on the uh, Russian government, although he's not exactly uh, in power. So the influence is limited in a sense. But he wrote a book, uh, The Foundations of Geopolitics, the Geopolitical Future of Russia, that uh, talks about getting into uh, Western Europe and uh, aligning Germany and France to Russia's uh, side in, in this uh, Eurasian bloc against uh, the Atlantic countries of Britain and the U.S. and, and other places. If, if- sort of similar to... If to I Napoleon's met, if, if continental met, system.
0: If I sorry, so you're talking about they Dugin. This is Duganism, Thinks that that it is Putin's plan to expand westward and start to influence the you know what you what would be considered what Western Europe. No, this is, this like is Napoleon. Dugan's suggestion, suggestion. that is read suggestion. that is read
1: by a lot of Russian oh, politicians. Okay, okay, and and the okay. Russian elite.
0: I understand. Okay, but that's not. Okay, that and that's – is that a part of Duganism? You know, Duganism is what that's like – I've heard that called like fourth position before. Is that worth ta- getting into it all with his whole philosophy or that's just using it. Well,
1: example. I would say that this is more of a strategic geopolitical uh, perspective okay. that doesn't necessarily have to coincide with the idea of Eurasianism. Mm. Okay, Because okay. you have a similar theory, the Heartland Hypothesis. That is that uh, Russia, in, in large part, is a, a very defensible area with the exception of the Western end, and uh, that by blocking off the Western end of the uh, Northern European plain, that Russia becomes this impregnable uh, fortress. And and this is the Heartland Hypothesis, which is a an older uh, political idea. I'm the author that came up with it, I don't know off the top of my head, but I don't think that this is what Russia is actually trying to do at this point, uh, because I would say that one thing Russia certainly wants to avoid is a war with NATO. Um, and and I think that that's one thing that they want to avoid at all costs. Uh, yep. Now, go- going back in- into what happened historically, so following the fall of the Soviet Union, NATO began expanding eastwards. And although there was a period in time when it where it was up in the air, whether Russia and uh, NATO or the European Union, the, the other European countries, whether Russia would become a part of a larger European community, that was up in the air for some time. Um, The impression that Russian politicians have received uh, since the late 90s, uh, especially going into the early 2000s, is that uh, NATO still considers Russia as its rival and is planning to encircle Russia in a similar strategy that they had before in encircling the Soviet Union and the Second World with a western aligned block of powers so that that is the impression that russia receives from uh nato's expansion uh, in the former warsaw pact countries and also in the three baltic uh, countries as well and in response to this uh russia has done a number of different things um, for example they have invaded georgia at uh, some some years back And they cut off two breakaway republics there. They've supported uh, Transnistria, which is a breakaway republic of Moldova. Um, And eventually, following the 2014 revolution in Ukraine, they decided to take over Crimea and militarily occupy it, as well as give support to the breakaway republics of uh, Donbass and Luhansk. Now, this then brings you into the question of when did this conflict start and who is the aggressor? And I would like to say that, in my opinion, both sides are the aggressors. And the reason I say this is because if you look at what happened in 2014, the Ukrainian government got overthrown. And after that, and this is widely reported in Western news sources, you can find this from The Guardian, The Huffington Post, even the Socialist Jacobin Magazine, uh, the Cato uh, Institute. You can find all different sources from all different sides of a political spectrum in the West saying that the United States had a very strong role in at least... uh, choosing who would get into the new Ukrainian government after the revolution.
0: Yeah. And that was Yanukovych, right? Or before, um, Poroshenko's who they put in, correct?
1: Uh, yeah, a- along with the cabinet and, and and other picks. So, uh President Obama at the time, he sent Vice President Joe Biden to manage uh the situation in Ukraine. Uh and and he's president now. So, I suppose uh Joe Biden <laughs> Certainly, he, he was on the ground when all of this was kicking off. And I guess very, yeah, uh, very
0: corrupt country. I mean, like the, there's all kinds of money and, and energy stuff that the, the Pelosi's, yeah. the Romney's, the, the Clintons, they all have their hands in Ukraine as well. Just so sort of,
1: so yeah. the, the reason I say both sides are the aggressors is because you have a side that did the revolution and we can argue about whether the revolution itself is a grassroots movement and, and only the part afterwards was influenced or whether the, the whole thing had uh, NGO support, uh, throughout, uh, like the, um, Twitter revolutions and the Arab spring, yeah. uh, did in, in many places. For example, Syria, that's, that's an, another example. Uh, Hong Kong, there were American NGOs, uh, involved there. Um, but, I I say both sides are the aggressors because the independence of Donetsk and Luhansk came in response to the fact that their government had been overthrown. And therefore, they would not consider it legitimate uh, to maintain their allegiance to a government that had overthrown the previous government. And while I am generally against the idea of uh, rebellion and revolution and such things, I would say in the case that your government is destroyed, uh, then the question of being able to declare independence, uh, it it becomes much easier, morally speaking. So then the new Ukrainian government went to suppress the uh, rebellion. And in in that sense, Ukraine is the aggressor on that side. While at the same time, Russia took over Crimea uh, and not only did they take it over, They did it with uh, soldiers who had the patches on their uniforms removed, uh, which internationally speaking is uh, highly controversial Mm. because in war, you would generally want soldiers to identify themselves uh, for which uh, party they are fighting, uh, which country they're fighting for, which armed forces they are a part of. So, This would, uh, in my view, this is an act of aggression. Even if the Ukrainian government is overthrown, that's different from then saying, we're going to take over a part of this country. uh, Because that doesn't automatically, just because the country next to you gets overthrown, that doesn't automatically give you a right to invade that country. So in, in that sense, Ukraine is the aggressor on attacking the breakaway republics, while Russia is the aggressor on uh, taking over Crimea. So it, so then later on, uh, I've, I've heard Ukrainian politicians say so, it, it is in our constitution to eventually want to join NATO.
0: So qu- he said quick, it. Quick, quick question. Okay, so, um, so do you think that Russia would have been the aggressor, aggressor had they just worn their patches?
1: uh yes i I think they still would have been the aggressor but not wearing the patches makes it extra uh suspect because uh i'm I'm not entirely sure uh exactly all the treaties that russia is party to but there are several uh international treaties that uh forbid this uh exact behavior
0: Mm. and this isn't Crimea, okay yeah so i mean is there anything, you know, one thing I was going to ask earlier, I figured we'd circle back to it is uh, so you said one of the things, you know, that a nation, how a nation can act, you know, in a Christian way or a righteous way is to honor its treaties. What if it's, what if the treaty is like, you said, and you said if the treaty, if they want out of the treaty, they can withdraw orderly. I wrote, made sure I wrote, write that down, withdraw orderly, you know, do you think NATO is a you know, an righteous treaty? Do you like NATO in the first place? Do you think that it's, it's uh, just uh, a just treaty?
1: Well, I, I think that NATO, uh, it, it is just like uh, the collective security treaty organization. It's a collective security treaty. So uh, to understand what NATO is, NATO is an alliance of a number of different countries that say that they are going to defend each other if one of them gets attacked. I don't see anything inherently wrong with that. Now, that being said, that doesn't mean that I think that everything they do as NATO is right. Okay. So I, uh, for example, uh, the bombing of Yugoslavia, that was a NATO operation. And, uh, I'm not entirely sure on all the details on the ground, but, I I wouldn't say that that uh, is necessarily part of the collective defense because it was uh, done specifically due to uh, what they believe to be uh, uh, against an ethnic uh, cleansing operation. However, ethnic cleansing, when you bring that in, the UN Charter says that uh, countries have a duty to act Uh, when there's a genocide or some some other event like that. So in theory, any country uh, under the UN Charter affords itself the right to intervene in any other country if they perceive that a genocide is going on. And this is part of the justification that Putin gave for his uh, now uh, moving into the Luhansk and Donetsk republics and then moving on to uh, invading various parts of Ukraine. So Putin's official uh, motivations for invading Ukraine are that he is uh, defending the Russians in Ukraine and the Luhansk and Donetsk republics against a genocide. By the way, I'm I'm saying that this is Putin's, what what Putin has said, okay, This is not what I'm saying. This is what Putin is saying. Hmm. Uh, And that he wants to stop NATO expansion. And that uh, he wants to denazify Ukraine. Hmm. So the allegations are that there's a genocide going on against uh, Russian people in uh, Ukraine, uh, broadly speaking, that they're are Nazis in prominent uh, positions of government in Ukraine. Wow. And that NATO's expansion that Ukraine uh, seeks to take part in is an act that is against Russia's geopolitical interests.
0: Hmm.
1: So those are the three assertions. Now, what this practically means in the war is that he is... Going to invade Ukraine and try to uh, pacify uh, the ongoing conflict with uh, Donbass and Luhansk, and he is going to en- engage in a political purge against what he perceives to be Nazis uh, in government in Ukraine.
0: Okay. Well, is there any is there any truth to that part of it?
1: well i would say it's partially true okay and when i say partially emphasis on the partially Uh, so first of all i would say that ukraine in general i do not believe that they are actively uh, trying to engage in a genocide against russians now you can argue that ukrainian nationalists are trying to suppress russian nationalism or pan-russianism as, as you might say that would mean the idea that uh russians and ukrainians are separate people but part of a larger russian culture so ho- however i don't think that it goes to the severity that you could say it is uh, a genocide uh now that being said there have been uh attacks on civilians in the ongoing war in donbass so uh, perpetrated by Ukrainian nationalists uh, in service with the Ukrainian military, so that is what is what it is based on, and that from that it is expanded to the idea of genocide. However, I, despite the many reports I've seen, I don't think that it goes far enough to be called a genocide in that sense. So on that point, I would say that Putin is wrong. Uh, On another point, the uh, expansion of NATO, I I think that it is true that the expansion of NATO is a problem for Russia. Uh, However, Russia's actions have in some ways uh, made uh, joining NATO a more hot button, uh, a, a more actively pressed issue in various countries. Hmm. For example, now we're looking at uh, Finland, which had tried to remain neutral. Now they are thinking about joining NATO because of the invasion in Ukraine. Uh, so, or uh, Ukraine wanting to join NATO because of what happened in Georgia. So I- in that sense, uh, Putin's hmm. uh, I- idea that this is a problem for Russia is true in some sense, although I, I don't think that NATO's end game is uh, trying to invade Russia. I think their end game is just trying to uh, pressure Russia and, and trying to uh, socially and culturally influence Russia. Uh, I-, I think that that's what NATO's, uh, or at least certain members of NATO's end game, is for NATO expansion. Um, to to simply then also have a wall so that uh, Russia can't attack back against them in that sense. Uh, But I I do acknowledge that NATO expansion is geopolitically a disadvantage to Russia. However, I don't think that that alone constitutes a casus belli, uh, a reason for war. Uh, That being said, I think that if Putin had played his cards better, if he, for example, hadn't gone into uh, Georgia and uh, had perhaps more strictly and and openly said that he, uh, and been much more stringent on opposing former Soviet countries uh, joining NATO, uh, then he might be in a better position uh, today. Um, so I, I think that he's, he's been too busy trying to play the U S at its own game, trying to, because the U S in various countries, it works through regime change and covert intelligence tactics. And Russia has been trying to play the same game as the U S, but the problem is they're just not as good at it as the U S is. They don't have as much money. They don't have as much experience. And the U.S. is simply winning, and and we see this uh, in in various places such as Syria, where the U.S. Uh, and this is declassified. This is official. The U.S. Uh, through uh, CIA uh, operation Timber Sycamore, yep. armed various Syrian rebels and arguably including the Islamic State. Yep. And, and so the whole. Arab Spring, Egypt, uh, Libya, and in various places. The uh, United States has been much more successful than Russia has been. Now, Russia has been supporting uh, Assad's government in Syria. Um, So it it seems that uh, the American hopes in Syria have been dashed. So that might give Putin some confidence there. Uh, that Assad is still in charge in Syria and uh, Syria being a a Russian-aligned country uh, is still going strong there. But in generally, I think he should have had a much more open foreign policy. When I say open, I I don't mean friendly. I mean uh, being very upfront with his problems with what the U.S. is doing from the very beginning uh, instead of trying to outplay the United States.
0: Yeah, I see. And so, as far as the uh, the, the Nazis in the, the Nazis claim, the, yeah. is that would that be in parliament? Like, what 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 are they they he means in the political structure, right?
1: Yeah, well, I'll say what is what is true and what has been confirmed is that there are uh, various far right political parties. Well, they they say far right, ethno uh, nationalist um, political parties in Ukraine right sector uh, and the azov battalion has has its uh own movement however it, it is true that when people say that these are a minority however that's not all of it though because the azov battalion isn't simply a paramilitary group that exists somewhere like some random militia that we have in here in the us the azov battalion is officially integrated into the Ukrainian national guard and also forms part of the Ukrainian gendarmerie, uh, which is a, which means that they have a uh, law enforcement authority in, uh, Ukraine. So for example, in Italy, you have the carabinieri, or in various countries, you have, uh, various military groups that also, uh, ...form uh, part of the law enforcement agencies of a country. Uh, So, the Azov battalion, therefore, is officially uh, part of the Ukrainian military, as well as their law enforcement. And they have been accused of various uh, uh, so-called war crimes in the war in Donbass. And so... In that sense, they are part of a government. Mm-hmm. They're part of a law enforcement. They're part of a military. Mm-hmm. They're not ruling in the government. So I will say that the Ukrainian government is not a Nazi government, mm-hmm. okay? Uh, that Their policies aren't Nazi policies. Their policies are more in line with uh, Western wokeism, as, mm-hmm. uh, the, as, as some people say, uh, but it... it So it's not a Nazi ideology running the country. So I I get what Putin is saying, but it's simply not true that their government is run by Nazis, even though they are actively working with Nazis. However, there's another aspect to this. The Azov Battalion is funded by Igor Kolomoisky, one of the Ukrainian oligarchs, who also uh, plays a big part in uh, being a uh, working together with Zelensky, the president of Ukraine. In fact, Kolomoysky owned the uh, the controlling share of the uh, of the news uh, not the news channel, the TV channel that Kolomoisky's show, not sorry, Zelensky's show, "Servant of the People," uh, aired on. And wow. many of the uh, members of uh, Zelensky's cabinet are affiliates of Kolomoysky. Now, what complicates this even more is that Kolomoysky, who is funding the Azov battalion, this uh, self-avowed uh, Nazi group, is a Jewish Zionist.
0: Hmm.
1: And so... You, you have this weird situation where people are saying that uh, of course it's not Nazis because it's Jews. But the, the thing is what people don't understand <laughs> is just because somebody's a Nazi doesn't mean that they can't work together with Jews. Yeah. Or just because somebody is a Jew doesn't mean that they can't also be a Nazi. Okay. And I'm not calling Kolomoisky a Nazi. Uh, although I, I don't, he is a Zionist. I don't know what, what, exactly his position is on, uh, the Palestinian question. Uh, so for all, I know maybe he could be, but, uh, uh, but just, and, but the reason why Hitler hated the Jews in Germany is because of his views on German history. Okay. So it it was the stab in the back, uh, idea, uh, looking at a a number of wealthy people in germany that were jewish and then extrapolated onto the entire jewish population and then other ideas uh, went in their social darwinism and 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 other things so in that sense hitler's views on jews uh, and the nazi party's views on jews were specific to germany Hmm. and even though that was true there were even german Jews who supported the Nazi party early on. Uh, Of of course, uh, not as many after uh, after Kristallnacht and uh, and the arrests started happening. But it is true that there were Jews that were supportive of the Nazis in Germany. And likewise, it is not impossible or implausible that there could be Jews in Ukraine that support Nazis in Ukraine. Of course, yeah. Now, I'm not saying that Zelensky is a Nazi. I'm not saying that Kolomoisky is a Nazi. What I am saying is that they are working together with them in the military and in law enforcement. Now, that still doesn't mean that the country is run by Nazis. Uh, And I don't think that saying that somebody in, in a country has uh an ideological position you don't like justifies an invasion of that country so i'm i'm not saying that if the even if 100% of ukraine was nazis i don't i still don't think that that makes it right to just invade the country just because you don't like their ideology
0: so why uh, why do they do they call themselves nazis like in what way yes, are they, they yeah what are they explain that the,
1: like Uh, The the Azov Battalion, they call themselves Nazis. They are uh, Ukrainian nationalists. Uh, They actively use Nazi symbols. Uh, I I hear that uh, they don't like foreigners. So they they call themselves Nazis. They use Nazi symbols. They hate foreigners. They... uh, apparently uh, allegedly they've done mean things in in, in the war in donbass mm. uh things that uh, the the military usually shouldn't do mm. so uh, i don't think it's wrong to call them nazis if they're calling themselves nazis and if they are dis- displaying themselves so as they nazis. use
0: the ukrainian word for nazi um like i mean what do you know what that word is yeah, I'm just kind of I, I i don't
1: i don't know russian oh, or ukrainian so yeah, i'm not, okay. uh, not I'm entirely familiar Oh, you
0: only got like five or six languages yeah okay <laughs> that's right which what languages do you speak again what do
1: you, uh german italian and english
0: yeah and you said you're working on greek like what you're you're learning how to translate in greek you, you said that to me once
1: yeah, yeah. Koine Greek. So this is yeah. uh, first century ancient Greek. Yeah. Cool. Not Homeric Greek. That's that's a bit different.
0: Cool. Anyway, yeah. So yeah. Okay. So you let's get back to you thought that both sides were the aggressors basically uh, in the Ukraine yeah. war. So like, let's go from there. I mean, so Putin invaded the, you know, so you, but you think Putin's aggression, it, it would, would have been in Crimea. But what about this yeah. most this most let's start with this most recent round and i mean people have to understand that this is this is eight eight plus year old conflict i mean i remember ba- this back in 2014 yeah. and, uh, and and so of yeah. course
1: you could say that uh, if you expand it to looking at the us and russia you see supporting opposing sides in syria that that's another uh, yeah. example there but uh yes yeah, so in in the most recent case um Some people have said that Ukraine may have been making moves to push farther in Donbass and to, uh, to, to reclaim the borders of the country, uh, as it had been before the Donbass conflict. Uh, however, that's not really any more an aggression than the beginning of that war is because, uh, they consider that part of their country. Um, so, Russia joining the war is uh, the, the question of is that an act of aggression? That's a bit debatable because if you cons- if you see it as them simply joining the war in Donbass but expanding the the theaters of a war to different areas, then. It, uh, it, it isn't really them starting a new war, if, if you see it that way. Hmm. That's the same. Uh, yeah, it, it, it is the same war, or you, you could say it's an expansion of the same war, an extension of the same war, but you, you also have to realize that the actions in Crimea uh, and, and they also uh, can be considered an expansion of the same conflict, and the the only reason, uh, Ukraine didn't try to take Crimea back was because Russia is a stronger country. Hmm. So you have that there. However, I I will emphasize that both countries' governments are very corrupt. Uh, both Ukraine and Russia frequently, uh, in, in international rankings, rank very high on corruption and, uh, And people like to say, well, Ukraine is a democracy and and Russia is a dictatorship. But even if you you look at it that way, uh, I I looked at international rankings on uh, the democracy indexes of Ukraine. And Ukraine is typically, instead of being considered a full-on democracy, it's considered a a mixed system, somewhere between authoritarian and democratic. So it's not certainly it it might be a democracy, but it's not a Western uh, democracy. It's not a a government where there's full transparency on everything that happens. And Zelensky himself uh, recently, he got in trouble with the Pandora Papers, a a big information leak on uh, offshore investments. Uh, And and he had he had a lot of investments in the Virgin Isles and and other places, uh, as did members of uh, his uh, production company, uh, many of whom are now in the Ukrainian government. So, yeah,
0: yeah, I read an article about that. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, so I, I just I don't really know how I see this as like like I'm basically pro Putin in the matter in that. NATO was just going to keep expanding until, I mean, they want like Ukraine trying to be in NATO would just be too far. And invasion is pretty justified on that end. So I, I basically look at NATO as essentially 100 percent the aggressor. And you, what and so in what way do you just why? Why does who decides if Ukraine has national sovereignty? I guess that's the question I'm because. The fall of the Soviet Union like that the, the creation of Ukraine like in what you know what determines that they like are the the sovereign if they're backed by if they're completely corrupt or if they're backed by corrupt people
1: well I, I would say what defines a country a sovereign or not is whether it exists sovereignly or not mm. so in, in that sense uh, I, I would say that Ukraine is sovereign. However, it is not sovereign over the territories which it does not control, Mm. okay? And at the same time, being sovereign doesn't mean that the country isn't also a client state.
0: Mm.
1: Because you you look at ancient times, the ancient Roman Empire had a number of different client states. Uh, The the Bosporan kingdom, uh, the... uh, the Herodian kingdom in Judea, uh, Armenia uh, at that time, which was much larger than it is today. And these countries were very sovereign in a large number of different ways, but what defined them as not being sovereign was that they had, uh, they, they were reliant, uh, or, or to, to, to be more exact, what defined them as client states was that they were reliant uh, Uh, for their defense on this larger country, which was the Roman Empire. And likewise, we see in Ukraine that their military was doing joint exercises with NATO, uh, that the U.S. at a point in time was picking who would be in government, that they were receiving uh, equipment from the U.S. And... Uh, that their plan was to eventually join NATO. And, and so it seems that I, I don't think it's inappropriate when Putin calls uh, Ukraine a client state, if you consider the degree uh, to which the U.S. Uh, was involved in the Ukrainian government and in the Organization of Ukrainian Defense. Now, now that being said, does that it have th-
0: to, sorry, does it have to be in? Does it have to be uh, a client state of a nation, or can it be a client state of like a, a glo- like a global country or a, a, a NATO itself? Like, in that is that a distinction that matters? Um.
1: Well, I, I suppose after World War One, there were. Uh, areas of former colonies of Germany that were ruled as condominiums by multiple countries. So in theory, yes, it is possible to uh, be a client state of multiple countries at the same time.
0: Let's see, but, but not, yeah, I guess, but not by the treaty. It's well, um, someone says, is this true that NATO was required by the treaty to reject Ukraine? Is that, did they break a treaty by trying to do that? Um,
1: I I think there was a verbal agreement,
0: a verbal agreement. It wasn't a verbal
1: agreement between, uh, the U S and the Soviet union.
0: that Ukraine would not be like, and this was at the, during the fall of the Soviet union.
1: Yeah. 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 This was at the time that, uh, the U S, uh, began, falling apart, sorry, the, the Soviet Union uh, began uh, falling apart. And, and it was the, the idea that uh, the, the Warsaw Pact and, and other countries, uh, this was just after the Berlin Wall fell and before the Soviet Union fell apart. So this was that the Warsaw Pact and uh, potentially in any other Eastern country, uh, NATO would not seek to expand into those areas. It was a verbal agreement between the president of the United States and uh, the leader of a Soviet Union. Uh, but the the thing is that times change, okay? Hmm. And unfortunately for Russia, it didn't end up being a treaty. And even if it were a treaty, uh, the Soviet Union doesn't exist anymore. So the, the question is who gets to succeed uh, the the right uh, of the Soviet Union. And th- the fact is Russia is not the Soviet Union, uh, e- even if it is considered to be uh, the successor of the Soviet Union in most ways. So I, 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 uh, I, I will say I don't think it was a good idea to expand NATO uh, beyond the Warsaw Pact countries uh, into the former Soviet Union. I don't think that that was a good idea. I think that... It should have been understood that this would have been viewed as an aggressive move, that this would have uh, upset the balance of power. So once again, I will say that I am against what NATO was doing. However, I still also think that Putin is still wrong in what he is doing. uh, Because once again, if he if you consider Ukraine to be a sovereign country, and or even if you consider it to be a country subject to another country which is sovereign, that country to which it is subject to is still not Russia. So that still means that he doesn't have business in deciding what happens in Ukraine, uh, even if it is potentially bad for him uh, geopolitically in the future. Now, one thing I think, Putin should have done is he should have also considered uh, the internal politics of Russia. Um, Because one one thing that's very bad that's happening to Russia is demographic collapse. Uh, So they need to expand in some way in order to make up for their demographic collapse. And one of the big things in Russia is abortion, okay? And, And this is one of the things where I... Even if Putin had done everything else right, okay, if he had declared war in Ukraine for all the right reasons, if he hadn't been messing around with espionage, trying to beat the U.S. at its own game there, even if he did everything else right, I still cannot endorse him because he, he, being a leader of the country, could do something to stop the abortion in, in uh, rate in Russia and Russia has one of the highest abortion rates, much wow. higher than many other countries. Wow.
0: It's- I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know that, but you mentioned it in your video and I wanted to ask you about, about it. What yeah. is the, what's their policy? I mean, what's the legality of, you know, of, is there a, a national abortion policy in, in Russia?
1: Um, I, I think it's legal. I don't know exactly uh, what all the policies uh, surrounding it are. Uh, I, all I do, but I do know that the numbers are very high compared to many other countries. Wow. but that's but of course, that's somewhat balanced off by the fact that older people in Russia die from alcoholism uh, much sooner. so the you don't you don't see this inverted population pyramid that you see in some some other countries uh, because of that. so the the uh, however, i I, I think, and, and if, if you want to go get into the Siberia stuff now.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's not, let's do yeah. that now. I just wanted to, yeah, let's get yeah. that. all will follow. Yeah. The, you, so you honestly, what's your take on? Yeah. You honestly want the U S to annex Siberia. Like, is that, yes. that's that, okay. That's not just a uh, like hyperbole or like, yeah. Yeah. This that. isn't
1: yeah. a joke. Um, I think that the policies of regime change and, uh, trying to build democracies in in various countries. I don't think that that has worked. Uh, I think that the older policies that the US had before Wilson, uh, where the US would actually take territory and expand, in in my view, are actually a lot uh, more effective and also benefit the country itself more. Because people like to point at Iraq and say, oh, it was all for the oil. But in fact, the U.S. actually didn't uh, get much uh, of that oil and in fact, didn't benefit very much at all from those wars uh, directly. So in my view, the U.S. shouldn't be declaring war willy-nilly on countries. Uh, However, I do support the U.S. declaring war on Russia for a few different reasons. Uh, One of these is that, the us and russia as i mentioned before have actively been in this intelligence conflict against each other and i much prefer open wars over uh cold wars and intelligence conflicts uh and and i think that the aggressions that these countries in in these conflicts in in syria and in ukraine have done against each other constitutes acts of war uh, sufficient for the U S and Russia to declare war against each other. And I think something similar can be said about China, uh, but that's a entirely different question. Um, So in in that sense, I think the U S does have a just war against Russia based on the uh, geopolitical rivalry that the U S has with Russia. I don't support Zelensky. Okay. Once again, let me say that I, Zelensky is also pro abortion uh, and he's corrupt um so i i don't support him in fact i i would propose perhaps uh not only uh dividing up russia but also dividing up ukraine in some ways
0: um the u.s but, doing that yeah okay but it's like i but like the the u.s is i don't know just i to me is the epitome of the you know of the like global satanism, essentially, you know, like the Biden regime is it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's not just the guy that's in charge. Like our policies are basically to spread liberalism everywhere. And that would be my, I guess my one of my, I don't even know if it's an argument, but what do you have to, what do you have to say about that person? Like,
1: well, uh, just because some people have been doing that in the past, doesn't mean that we have to do that in the future. Yeah. The, the U.S. can yeah. choose not to do that.
0: Yeah, but do you think they will? Don't know. Okay. But don't know.
1: Depends on who who's in charge. Yeah. Um
0: But Biden's Biden, the Biden regime is in charge right now. So yeah. You can, you but but, I, but I
1: think I, I think that uh, taking territory, annexing Siberia, would in some ways help us. Uh, at least flatten the curve of, uh, of runaway progressivism in a number of different ways, hmm. because it would give us new economic uh, opportunities that would uh, increase optimism in the country. Just like uh, Russia, uh, if, if they take Ukraine, that would perhaps give them new economic opportunities and uh, increase optimism. Uh, in their country. So uh, even if nothing changes about the policies, if we annex Ukraine, we'll also have a a large number of the Siberian people who probably care nothing for the progressive agenda, and they'll be in our country then. So maybe maybe a few million of those guys uh, could help balance out our politics. But uh it, they'll also be able to benefit from a less corrupt government that would be able to offer better opportunities in investing in their economy as well
0: so you think so, the russian government is less corrupt than the american government no
1: no i'm, I'm saying the american government is less corrupt than the russian government is less or at corrupt. least wow. not, not just the government but the economy in general wow, okay
0: wow really the, econ- it, the the economy is less. Cr- yeah, I don't really yeah. know much about international economy. In, 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 because
1: it, in Russia, you, you have a situation where you see these uh, high-rise apartments being built, and and they tell people buy an apartment, invest in this, and they make all these different promises. And then all it is is they they built up the the concrete and rebar portion, the. Uh, there's no running water, no electricity. Uh, the elevator shafts are sealed off because there's no elevator. Um, and all the different uh, stuff they were supposed to build around the apartments, playgrounds for children, gardens, uh, various other amenities, those never get built. Uh, and the wh- whoever built these apartments uh, runs away with all of the money and, whoever moves in also lives in at great risk because the ingredients to the concrete have probably been skimmed off a bit to save a bit of extra money so so so
0: i understand the economy part and yeah so and that's interesting like so are you in effect then saying i i don't i know we've talked about you know nationalism before but if you say the u.s does annex siberia those people, you know, they're part of our government, part of our country, but is, does that like make them Americans right then? I mean, like, what does that, you know, I, I definitely kind I definitely reject that form of like the piece of paper dec- like makes the person part of the nation. Like how, how, how would that, how would that work? You know, they would definitely, well, I'm, I'm not a nationalist. Economist. I'm an imperialist. You're imperious. Okay. Explain that real fast. for me. I, I, I don't know if I've heard you like call yourself that before you're an imperialist
1: yeah wow so so i i think that yeah so 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 i think that uh we can we don't have to uh we we don't all have to be the same okay because that, that that's the thing about liberalism is that uh everybody is free but you all have to uh, have the same idea of liberalism. And so you get this wacky progressive stuff that gets, gets into stuff. But if you look at how the Roman Empire was run, they had a huge diversity in peoples, a huge diversity in cultures. And most of the big rebellions in the Roman Empire were actually these military government coups. And, and they weren't big popular rebellions. So it, it seems that at least on the local level, the people could get along. Uh, and, and, and that's partially one of the things that the America's founding fathers uh, had it as an idea was that through federalism, the different states can have different rules and different cultures while also existing in the same country so that they don't have to fight each other over who's right or wrong. Now, unfortunately, uh, we're increasingly centralizing, which means that uh, things that didn't used to be uh, your business that happened in other states now eventually become your business because uh, people are destroying the state governments in favor of federal power. but I think that just like the Romans and the ancient Persians, it is possible to have uh, countries that are very strong and united while also being uh, culturally diverse. Hmm. Not not in the multicultural sense that we have to uh, love each other's cultures and be ultra, ultra tolerant, but in the sense that you don't have to interact with someone if you don't want to yeah just like in a free market you don't have to uh you don't have to buy and sell stuff in places you don't want to go um unfortunately there has been a strong push against this by progressives who want everybody to be tolerant even if the those people don't want to be tolerant um and and I think that that is a problem. However, I think that even if it causes cultural tension and a, a number of uh, problems in adjustment, I think that all those all that tension will go in the right direction, and also will help uh, slow down problems that are leading to the decline of the united states
0: Uh, okay and what about the you know the nuclear you know the nuclear holocaust part of you know of a a potential war with russia i mean you know that's the whole you know weapons of mass destruction or like what is it mutually you know ensure destruction you know well you know uh, why do you think so you want the u.s to declare war on russia and then what happens like they th- that's when you we start invading through alaska and you know it sounds funny to me but it, it's not i'm not trying to poke, poke fun at it it's just like that what is the steps to in in the plan that you would envision you know
1: well I, I would say that we, we don't really need to worry about what happens in uh europe because there's other countries that can handle that front for us i i would say that we should uh go through siberia and it allows us to also uh, be in a good position uh, in case China tries anything funny uh, so that we have a strong military presence there. Uh, and I do acknowledge that this is a war that Putin considers to be uh, existen- of existential importance to his country. He saw NATO expansion and he, he's only got a few years left of, of his life because he's not getting any younger. And essentially Russia has one last shot for uh, a chance of expansion. And the choice he made was Ukraine uh, because he he knows that he can't beat NATO uh, and that if he's going to expand in one way, he, he needs to be smart about which country he picks and he picked Ukraine, which is the country that would gain him the most benefit uh, but I, I am I know, and I'm fully aware that he is that if he considers this to be of existential importance to Russia, he will use uh, nuclear weapons, and I think that's fine.
0: You think that's fine? Uh, yeah,
1: I I yeah. think that's fine. I think I think Ronald Reagan and <laughs> uh and and Gorbachev. Reagan and Gorbachev, they both had a, uh, a, a test uh, where they did a drill, and ultimately the, the question was uh, the, the, the other guys launched nukes. Will you launch the nukes back? And both of them, both Reagan and Gorbachev, decided not to launch the nukes. And I think that that is a mistake. I think uh, I I agree with uh, General Douglas MacArthur that nuclear weapons are important weapons of war that should be used uh, in war. And I think that it is better to resolve a conflict than to simply defuse tension. So I think Jesus Christ said, blessed are the peacemakers. And I think that peacemaking is not a reduction in tension. It is a resolution of conflict Mm. and doing nothing right now, as the U S is doing will lead to this longer cold war. And not only that, the petrodollar is falling apart. The U S as the international reserve currency that's falling apart. And, and what that means is no more, infinite money supply for the U.S., the U.S. can't make an infinite amount of money anymore because the U.S. suddenly has a credit limit because other countries are less likely to trade in U.S. dollars uh, because the, the reason why the U.S. is able to get so much debt is because the U.S. is powerful and all the other countries are willing to trade in dollars. But once Russia and China, as they are planning to do right now, stop doing that. And if they can get the other BRICS countries aboard, uh, uh, India, China, South Africa, and perhaps even more countries after that, then suddenly the dollar becomes less important. All this inflation that we're seeing, it's going to hit us like a ton of bricks. So the U.S. economy will be utterly devastated if we do nothing. Okay. Uh, and if we just let it be a, a cold war, then we, we are living in fear for the next, I don't know, 30, 40 years. Who knows? Uh, however, I say we go to war, we fight, we win, and uh, we get some land, and we'll, we'll be a, a bigger country then. So uh, a lot of people will die, but I think that in the short term, less people will die, uh, e- even if it becomes a nuclear war, than in the long term.
0: Wow. Yeah, I mean, the... so do you think that 30, you said 30, 40 years down the road, I mean, can a, a can a Cold War continue in perpetuity? I mean, you're just saying until the the economic I'm, I'm just collapses. saying
1: I'm, I'm just saying we don't know what's going to happen yeah. in, in the next generation we don't know what happens when Putin dies yeah okay
0: yeah I mean I just okay so the the, the thing I still the, I'm still hung up on I mean I don't I get what you're saying about kind of you know like the nature of you know politics and the, mat- and the nature of power but the to me it's like the U. it's not in the nations that are in charge per se here it's it's this global thing it's this global corrupt to the core super immoral you know pro way more pro-abortion than vladimir putin probably uh way way more like what how do you that has to be resolved for for i think a lot of people to it it does and i I consider
1: it to be a separate issue
0: a separate issue
1: yes yes
0: Wow, completely separate. Like not, you know, like I don't know how to. How can it be completely separate when it's those same people that are running the government?
1: Well, I, what I'm saying is separate is the U.S.'s uh, geopolitical interests and uh, the the U.S.'s uh, government's moral character. I think that those are separate. Wow. Just like in ancient times. Uh, it would not be wrong to serve, uh, in the Roman army uh, for Christians to serve in the Roman army under the Roman emperor who, uh, when the Roman government, uh, was organized inside and met inside of pagan temples and engaged in pagan rituals and waged wars, uh, of conquest for personal gain and greed, uh, I don't think that it's wrong to serve in that military and I don't think it's wrong to pay taxes to that government. Why? Because Jesus Christ himself said that you should pay your taxes to that government. So in that sense, I I have to be able to say that the wrongness on that part is not the same thing as the geopolitical interest mm. or uh, the, or other political questions. We have to be able to say this specifically is wrong. And just because this specifically is wrong doesn't mean that everything else that we can uh, draw a connection to it is also wrong. Yeah. Uh, and I think that this is yeah. a, a big I've problem that, that yes. the left has. Yeah. Yeah, the, the left it. does this a lot. And a big example would be the boycott Coca-Cola movement mm. just recently that occurred where people all over Twitter were saying, we need to boycott Coca-Cola because they're selling their products in Russia, okay? Yeah. But that has nothing to do with the war. And just just because they're selling stuff in Russia doesn't mean that they're doing anything bad. They're not doing anything bad by selling stuff in Russia. Yeah. That'd be like me saying that I'm not going to, uh, to buy at... Uh, walmart because walmart allows people that have abortions to buy stuff there hmm. I, I wouldn't be able to buy stuff anywhere if, if that were the case
0: right yeah i mean and, so but you're saying in the is in the in the siberia thing that it's it's just it's in the government the geopolitical interests of the u.s government to do the things you described essentially like start world war three and expand to si- siberia well,
1: yeah. here's, here's what I'm saying. We already are in a conflict. Okay. I, I'm saying we already are in a conflict. So I'm not saying we're starting anything. I'm saying that we may have started something a few decades ago, but at, at this point, there's a difference between starting something and just pushing through. And I think since we are already in a conflict, we should resolve the conflict. And yeah. the way to resolve a conflict is to escalate. Mm. Okay. OK. Yeah. Because, yeah, and, and I, I'm not in favor of what Ukraine's doing, OK? What, what's happening with the corruption in the government? Zelensky, very frequently, he exaggerates everything that the Russians do. That, that doesn't mean that the Russians aren't doing bad things. They, are, they certainly are. But Zelensky exaggerates to the most extreme for two reasons. Uh, there are two purposes in Zelensky's propaganda. One is to increase the morale of his own country. Uh, to to fight against the Russians. And, and the second one is to gain as much international support as possible. And, and those are the two two of Zelensky's goals. Now, Putin's propaganda, he also makes propaganda, is to justify the war and to also uh, increase the morale of his troops. So we, we see these weird, uh, contradictory narratives that are so far apart from each other on what's happening for for example uh just recently i I was uh watching uh, india today uh an an indian news source and they were comparing the number of russian casualties as reported by the russians and the ukrainians the russians reported 500 casualties ukrainian report the ukrainians reported that the russians had uh suffered thirteen thousand five hundred casualties the the true number is probably somewhere in between. Okay. But we see one side downplays one thing in order to keep morale up. The other side plays it up to the extreme in order to get their own morale up. Yeah. So, so there we go. So my, my opinion on, on these intelligence conflicts is that if you spy on a country, in my view, uh, without being at war with that country, that's an act of war. If you're engaging in espionage or uh, sabotage or uh, other things, in my opinion, that's an act of war. I know that there's a lot of people that disagree with that, that the the hacking operations uh, that occur, that are government-supported by the U- by the U.S. against Russia and Russia against U.S., and, and China's mixed in there as well, uh, a lot of people say that's just hacking that that doesn't matter. Okay. But you can ruin somebody's life with that stuff. Yeah. They're actively uh, hurting people on on both sides. They're hurting each other just because they're not hitting each other physically and, and shooting each other with bullets doesn't mean that there isn't a conflict. And what I'm saying is that you can have as many hackers in the world but if you shoot them with a bullet, they still die. Okay. So, in my view, the the honorable way to fight is with weapons in a declared war. Yeah. And I much prefer that from what is going on currently. Uh. And, and that's why I think that since we are already in a conflict, the escalation to actively declaring war and fighting is uh not only the legitimate action to take but an honorable action that also is in line with our geopolitical interests
0: wow well that's a good sum up that's uh i got some uh, questions over here that i can uh i've copied and pasted throughout the uh so i can go for another you know five to ten more minutes so uh i want to take some questions that's okay yeah all right um this is from earlier. It says, uh, "Do you reject the at- attacks?" I don't know much about uh, this Georgian conflict, but does Anavoltis re- reject the attacks on Russian soldiers in South uh, Ossetia, being an act of aggression by Georgia? I'm uh, I'm curious of his take.
1: Well, I'm I'm not I'm not read up on that specifically, so I, I can't say with any certainty on on that issue, but. Uh, if we consider that uh, before Russia moved into South Ossetia, that that part uh, that uh, region was part of Georgia, uh, and of course th- there there's the rebellions as well uh, in, in that region, so it, it could be either way.
0: Don't know. Yeah. Okay. I don't know that, and so I, I, you know, I asked this exact question earlier, but I want to hear you say it one more time, just so I can remember for, because it comes up every single time we talk. So, what is the thing again that determines whether a country is a country? Like that's what, like the national sovereignty question. I still, I, mean, like I would say had,
1: holding uh, jurisdiction over uh, a territory without being under the jurisdiction of another. Uh, group so another
0: group it, but is ukraine that i mean are they really it, would they be anything with just I, I would say like
1: that while the ukraine while, while ukraine is dependent on other countries in certain ways these other countries aren't phoning up zelensky uh, every other day and telling him what to do mm. okay so it, they're not phoning up their the ukrainian parliament and telling them you need to do X, Y, Z. Okay, so I would say Ukraine is sovereign. Mm. I just don't think that they're independent in everything that they do. Right? Okay, but that there's... they are reliant on other countries, it is possible to be a client state and sovereign at the same time. Yeah, I get but what I'm you're saying.
0: saying for sure. Yeah, under like a, a vast amount of, of, of influence from uh, an entity outside of it, but you're still named your own thing, you have your own day to day, and your own government. I mean, you I mean, said so what, and, and then do they get? I guess they get weapons. It, you have you have to have enough weapons to defend yourself. And in this instance, I guess they are right. I mean, they're sovereign because they they are. With that, that yeah, like the, Well yeah. perhaps not for long though. <laughs> <laughs> not for long. Yeah. Yeah. But, okay. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So the the Ukrainians say that uh, that. Well, not the Ukrainians, but people in the West are saying Ukraine's winning, Ukraine's winning. But the fact is Russia has already won on the sea. They're dominating the air and they keep making advances and they might be surrounding large numbers of Ukrainian troops sometime soon. So yeah. uh, until the Ukrainians start making gains, I can't really say that the Ukrainians are winning. Yeah, And I certainly don't think anybody else should be saying that they are.
0: Uh, so this is a question from Moose, and I'll combine it with what Horatio just says. Is is he saying we should go to war with Israel? They spy and infiltrate our government more than any other country. And then uh, Horatio says there'd be constant war everywhere across the world because of this spying thing. Because everyone spies. Do you think? Uh, what's well, your take on the Israel thing? Well, it, thing it depends
1: and, on yeah. on what you on what you mean by spying. Yeah. Because a, a lot of countries, for, for example, th- this is common. Russia does this. A lot of Russians that go to the U.S., they simply receive an instruction. If you see anything interesting uh, that that might be reportable, report it, okay? So that's not big espionage. They're not infiltrating something. They're just uh, giving uh, direct info from things that they see. Now, if they infiltrate the government, then that's serious espionage there. Or if they sabotage or they steal confidential government records that's uh bad uh so i i I think that countries shouldn't be treating each other this way i know that the u.s for example uh was tapping the nsa was tapping uh, uh the the phones of the german government and i don't think that they should be doing that with countries that they aren't at war with uh now i'm not saying that we should immediately go to war with every country that does this to us or that uh what I am saying is that we should stop doing this and tell everybody else to stop doing this. And then after that, we officially treat it as something that we can go to war over.
0: Mm. Okay, cool. Um, and so some someone asked where, like, where are you from? Like you're German. Yeah. What's your, you know, uh, ethnic heritage.
1: Um, well, I'm I'm from Germany.
0: You're from Germany, yeah, and so you learned German first as your. As I'm kind of wondering. German is your first language because you're German, and then you yeah. learn Italian after that. Yeah, and and then English. Cool, sweet man. That's really interesting. Um, yeah, I mean this the, the international spying thing. I mean, but do you recognize the UN as a as having having I don't know as legitimate?
1: well it it exists and people treat it as legitimate so (laughs) that that's how things work in the world
0: (laughs) yeah that's true that is true now
1: now of course the the u.s in certain cases doesn't treat it as uh, legitimate for example uh i think it was nicaragua was suing the u.s and the the u.s decided actually we we don't like being sued so skip out on that trial (laughs)
0: yeah Interesting. Yeah. So it's, yeah, you got, definitely have uh, interesting views on power and stuff. I'll think about the Siberia take. Um, I'm reading some of these books that. yeah, And,
1: and I'm with. not just saying it that because we need Siberia. I'm saying yeah. that if we declare war in a country, you should take territory. You should take territory. I, yeah. I,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the power thing, man. Uh, great. So plug your work. This will be a podcast later. Uh, I've your links going to be below in the show description. So tell people how to find you. have them follow you on Twitter and YouTube. And so. Just uh, tell people what your content's about, all that good stuff.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm I'm on YouTube as on Willtos as well as on uh, Twitter, uh, and I'm also on uh, on Gab. Although I'm not uh, very uh, active currently, not not for a- any particular reason. But uh, I'm also on Bitshoot uh, as well.
0: All right, sounds good. I'll make sure I have those below. And yeah, great talking to you. I'll have you on? Uh, soon enough, talk about the next issue and have a great day. All right. Okay. Thanks. Bye. Awesome. awesome. Got to go. Got to go. Got to go. Got to go. Where am I at? Oh, I got to get back on. Eighth time on the show. Oopsie. Uh, What you just said sounds like a Chinaman speaking. Uh, NATO is a fake and gay. Only U.S. and the Great Britain have a military.